Well, good morning, folks. I would love to have you take your Bibles and to join me in turning to the book of Daniel chapter 1. If you noticed on the way in, you may have or not, that we have resumed the printing of bulletins, and uh, therefore uh, sermon notes are out there someplace if you uh, happen to remember that, or they're on your, the website if you want to grab that uh, with your electronic device. You certainly can do that. I am I'm excited about coming to the book of Daniel, and um, today we have a lot ahead of us uh, to, to get ourselves going down this path. But I, I want to say a couple things initially, um, just to, to lead us toward the text. You know, there is a reason why at Sunset Bible Church we preach sermons from the Bible. And I just want to remember with you why we do that, and I think that this is a perfect time. Uh, you're aware that we live in a very loud time right now. A lot of voices. Anybody who can talk is talking, it would seem. Some important things are being said, but I fear that many of the important things that, that are being said or should be heard uh, are getting lost in the, in the hubbub. And indeed, as you've experienced, uh, so have I, kind of a, a social shaming if you're not talking. Everybody should talk. Everybody should. And I think, oh man, what a mess that is. If everybody's talking, um, nobody's listening, and I think these are wonderful times to listen. But in the midst of all of this talking, uh, we, we have far more than just words in somebody's humble opinion. We have the written word of God. And this is our text, and here we come week after week after week. I, I was reminded of that this week in a conversation. It was not with the person here um, and I, I mean no disrespect, I understood there was a context and, and so on and so on, but it triggered something in my mind. Uh, in a conversation, uh, a person uh, asked a question. It was a good question in the setting, but the question was, uh, what, do you, what do you feel like God is saying to us now? What do you feel like God is saying? And this immediately triggered in my mind, uh, being a little more of an objective person than a subjective person, um, good night. Who cares what I feel? God has spoken. So I, I worded, I, I hope, an appropriate answer to say, hey, I appreciate the question. What do I feel? But, uh, God, but let me just say, I'm so glad God has already talked. And so all I have to do is go to the written word of God. There is a word for today. And it's completely apart from what I feel it is because he says it. And I, I'm excited about the book of Daniel um, we're aware in our, in our understanding of the Bible that the book of Daniel says a lot of things about the future. And that's wonderful. We will look at a whole lot of things that talk about the future. But I am also excited about this book because it speaks to the present. And I don't want you to get, have that get lost for you. Uh, in all of our rush to, to, to talk about future things and book of Revelation and the Antichrist and all these really fun and cool things to dig into, yes, I appreciate all that. But listen, the word of God speaks to us today. The book of Daniel speaks to us today. And I want that message for now um, to, to be the loudest. So uh, I, what I want to do, I want to pray for us. And then if you have sermon notes in front of you, you see where I'm going. There are three elements we want to do today. All of them are important, and I'm going to try to budget time for all of them. But there is a kind of a crash course in the book of Daniel that I want to give. What are we doing here? Talk about it just a bit. Put it in its historical context and so on. That's important for us. Then I want to talk about kind of the big picture of Daniel, the, the, 
the main theme. Not the main thing, the main theme. And I want to rivet that in your mind. And then, as well, we'll talk about kind of the movement in the first chapter of Daniel. And away we go for the summer months. I think this is going to be tremendous. So let me pray for us and invite God's help because we surely need it. And then away we go into the text. All right, so would you join me, please, as we pray? Our Father, indeed, uh, in these times, we need your help. We need your help in all kinds of other things, all of which have some level of importance. But most of all, and above all, oh God, we need your help in rightly understanding the word of God and allowing the word of God to control our lives and our thoughts and our feelings about all that takes place around us. Our Father, may we be driven by the written word of God and, and, and you're speaking to us here. So Father, help us now as we come to the preaching of the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to read Daniel 1, 1 through 4, and then we'll kind of give a general introduction to what's going on here in the book, all right? So these first four verses then introduce us to some history and movement of nations and so on. We read this then in God's word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Now, Several things, and I've got them laid out here on your sermon notes. I'm going to kind of move through those. The book of Daniel was written in the 6th century B.C. I stand with that. I know that there's critical theory that would say, oh, that can't be because it talks about some history. He couldn't have known that uh, until it took place. So it had to be written in the 2nd century. Wrong. There's a God in heaven who knows the future. So having a, a book talk about the future is not difficult if... God is the one behind it. So 6th century BC, I'll stand with that, which is the 500s, you understand, or thereabouts. Now, uh, the movements of the nations, my goodness, war is taking place. Kingdoms are rising and falling all around. Uh, If you study your secular history, you know of battles between Egypt and Babylon and so on that set up this moment. But um, all of that, of course, is, is the backdrop to this book. The main character, of course, goes by the name of, of Daniel. Uh, that's kind of a, of a gimme here. So it's not always true in every part of the Bible um, that, uh, that the title is the main character. Not always true. But here it is. Daniel is the main character. And he's a Jewish guy who, as we just read, taken captive into Babylon with some other guys, uh, four that are mentioned by name, apparently young teenagers. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. Probably young teenagers... And you'll note, according to verse 3, they are of the royal family and the nobility. That's kind of important in understanding them. Daniel now, uh, the book, spans the whole time that, that, that the people of God are there. Seventy years. 
He lives the whole time. Can you imagine that? And he is a, listen to this. He is a man of God in high-level government leadership. I mean, just let that sit for a minute. Is it possible to be a Christian and be in government? Well, apparently so, okay? So for all the cynicism about, you know, you know anyway, all the bad things you could say, Daniel was a man of God who maintained his integrity for a career in high-level government leadership. That should be amazing, amazing to us all, but he did it. Uh, wow. Now, um, a, bit of, a bit of history. I don't have that represented here, but you need, to, you need to understand this with me. It goes along with Nebuchadnezzar and Judah and these, these folks. All right, your, your Bible history. I repeat this every few months, uh, trusting that if you stick around long enough, eventually you'll go, oh, I think I remember how that goes. Uh, so, so I'm going to start with the United Kingdom, Saul, David, and Solomon, about 120 years long, right? You're familiar with Saul, David, and Solomon. The United Kingdom, Israel, made up of 12 tribes or 12 groups. Now, um, 931, the, there was this, like a civil war, and there was a split between the north and the south. Familiar, I know. Uh, the 10 tribes in the north retained the name Israel. The two tribes in the south went by the name of the larger of the group, Judah. So 931, Jeroboam split the kingdom. So that's you know, right after Saul, David, and Solomon, and Solomon's kids, and all that kind of stuff. So 931, split. 722 BC, the Assyrians come in and take over the north. So they kind of fade away into history, indeed. This, uh, they knock on the door of the south. God says no. The Assyrians go home. Um, 586 now, uh, thereabouts, okay? Babylon comes in and takes over Judah. And that's what's going on right here. Now, there's some different deportations where they're hauling people away. I understand there's some dates that are uh, a couple different moments mentioned here in verse 1 that I don't want to step into because it's all about history, and that's not our main element today. But 586, um, fall of the south, off you go to Babylon. So that's what's going on here. Now, um, Babylon, of course, big world power at the time. And my question is, you see in front of you, and it's the sermon title today, my big question is, is God present in Babylon? And, and I, that's not a hypothetical because I'm going to suggest there is, a, there is at least an analogy to today because we don't live in Kansas anymore, you understand. Is this Kansas? No, 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 no. Um, is God present in Babylon? Can I live with confidence in Babylon if I know God is here? So just to tell you ahead of time, the answer to that will be in the affirmative. Yes, God is present in Babylon, and you can live with confidence, even when it, you think, oh, man, this looks out of control, and, and if I may say, we're losing, oh, no, oh, no, you're on the side of God, and he's not losing anything. God is present in Babylon, and we walk with him. So, so be prepared. The question, of course, that we ask, how do we live faithfully in our increasingly pagan world? Daniel is a great study in that, because Daniel lived faithfully, in Babylon, for goodness sakes. And if he did, then we can walk with God and do the same. Now, book of Daniel, I just uh, cover here. A book of Daniel divides equally uh, into two sections, chapters one to six, largely narrative in style. That's a literate, literature type term as I use it here. Narrative is telling a story. Most of that is that, is that way. Uh, chapters seven to 12, mostly 
apocalyptic. And that would be similar to the book of Revelation. That's mostly apocalyptic literature. Part of Ezekiel would fall in the category of apocalyptic literature. And, and we'll talk more about that as we get there. But apocalyptic literature is, is kind of like a, um, uh, you've been in those 360 degree movie theaters where, you know, wherever you turn, it's just, you know, there's a picture and sound getting used in full stereo. You know what I mean? Please tell me you know what I mean. They have this in the world. They do. You surely have been there. Scare me to death, man. I think I'd be the only one who's been to Disneyland, but I know that's not true. So they have those 360 things. Apocalyptic literature is kind of like that, where it's loud and there's figures of speech and wild things. And you go, man, what's going on here anyway? This is amazing. So apocalyptic literature, full color, loud sound, it's different, different type of literature. You read it different, you understand it different. But we'll talk about all of those literature differences as we move along. Now, I mentioned here then just a couple more things in terms of introduction. Gleason Archer, one of the commentators that I have on the book of Daniel, points out in New Testament prophecy, Daniel is referred to more than any other Old Testament book. Isn't that interesting? Either direct quotation or an allusion. I didn't know that. I would have picked probably Isaiah, but... In terms of prophecy, uh, Gleason Archer says it so, and if you want to debate it with him, go for it. I, uh, and, then likely, and then also he says it's likely Daniel is the most frequently studied of the 16 major and minor prophets. The most frequently studied. Probably so, and of course, if you do your math, you go, wait, I thought there were 17, five major prophets, 12 minor. It's because he's subsuming lamentations with Jeremiah. So 16, that's fine. Um, now, I want to read one other thing, and then I'll move on to that next section. But just kind of a, you just kind of have to know that backdrop of the nations. I want to read a small paragraph from John Walvoord's book on Daniel, covering a lot of different books in our study of preaching and so on for this book, um, this series. But John Walvoord has this little paragraph that I think is a helpful summary of, of where we're going. But he says this, in many respects... The book of Daniel is the most comprehensive prophetic revelation of the Old Testament, giving the only total view of world history from Babylon to the second advent of Christ and interrelating Gentile history and prophecy and prophecy concerning Israel. Daniel provides the keys to the overall interpretation of prophecy. It's a major element in premillennialism. We'll talk about that as we get there. And it's essential to the interpretation of the book of, of Revelation. It's revelation of the sovereignty and power of God has brought assurance to, Greek, uh, to Jew and Gentile alike that God will fulfill his sovereign purposes in time and eternity. I like that. So confidence, people of God. Confidence in God just flows from the book of Daniel. It really does. Even though there's some elements we'll study and say, I'm not, I don't understand that. No worries. Make sure you understand the main point. Now, on your study notes, then I want to move to that next section called Let's Remember the Big Picture. And again, I'm really not getting into Daniel yet in terms of the story of chapter one. We will in a minute. But I want you to, to, to get the main point. And we've represented it on the, the, the screens, the art that we've chosen for Daniel. That same art is on the, the front of your bulletin. So get used to this. It's going to be there all summer long. It's going to look just like that. And of course, my key phrase, sovereign overall. It frames the top of the picture, a kind of a furnace in the middle. And all these different elements are intended to be picturesque and help you think about the book of Daniel. He is 
sovereign over all, or as we heard a minute ago in the song, great song, he is sovereign over us. I love that. So the big picture, on your notes, I put it like this. Daniel is first and foremost a book about God. Sometimes in our study of the Bible, especially as we talk to our kids, we love to pick up heroes. And so we, we talk about David, the hero, killing Goliath. Well, I appreciate David and Goliath. Who's the hero? God, not David. Right? Wonderful story. Queen Esther. Amazing stuff. Who's the hero? Esther? No, God, who is sovereign over all. And you come to Daniel, this wonderful book. Great guy of integrity. Man, Daniel's a great guy. Who's the hero? No, not Daniel. God. God is the hero. God is the hero. And the book is really clear that that's the case. So we always want to teach our Bible stories to our kids and tell the stories to ourselves that way. Yes, humans, wonderful, and so on and so on. All of them have flaws. God is the hero of the whole story. And we never want to forget that. Now, I've given you a number of texts on your study notes. And I want to assure you, I'm going to read them all. Okay? This is the barrage. It's the broadside of the, of the ship. It's the, I get the point, but I'm not sure we do. So I want you to hear them all. Okay? I am going to read them without commenting on the context. We'll get there in time. So as we read chapter 2 and 4 and 6 and 7, I'm not going to say what's going on in the chapter. I just want you to hear it. Okay? So let, let the word of God speak and speak loudly here. The main point, the big picture, that's what I'm after. So I'm going to start here. Daniel 2, start, starting verse 20. We read this, a statement about God, theology proper, if you like your theological categories. So we read this, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of God, rather forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Stop for a minute. Do you believe this? Okay. He removes kings. He sets up kings. So you is that, is that relates to like coming events like this fall where there, I hear there's some election. Yes, have your opinion and vote and vote, do it. And remember on December 1st, he is sovereign over all and let your heart rest, okay? Whatever you think. He removes kings, he sets up kings. Yes, he does. Nobody, nobody rules a kingdom or a nation apart from the permission of God. So rest in this, rest in this rather than worry and fret. He gives wisdom to the wise, Daniel says, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. Isn't that good? He knows. He sees the darkness. The light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, Daniel prays, I give thanks and praise. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what, you, what we've asked of you. You've made known to us the king's matter. Man, that's good. That's good. Verse 44 Again, he's, we're jumping ahead in this great, really great narrative we'll look at next week. Verse 44, in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these, these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, we haven't looked at the context. Whose kingdom do you think that is? It is his kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's looking ahead to say there's coming a day when there's going to be another kingdom. It will never be destroyed. Amen, exclamation mark. Take it to the bank. Okay, are you with me on this? Chapter four, whole nother story. 
But hear it. Chapter 4, starting verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, verse 17, and you you look at your notes, you see some of these verses, I have a B there. Typically, that is used to refer to the second half of the verse. Uh, so, So be aware of all of that. So in verse 17, it's talking about a decision from God, and it says, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to this end. Here it is, that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. He gives it to whom he wills and sets over it the lowliest of men. Verse 25, well, verse 24 has the most high as well. Verse 25 He's describing what's going to happen until you know, look at that last phrase, until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That sounds a lot like verse 17, almost like we're repeating something. We're not done yet. Verse 32, last phrase, until you know that the most, most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 34, I bless the most high. And praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see this? The last verse, 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right. His ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Theology proper, the study of God. It's a big, big picture of God. Chapter five, verse 18a. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Uh, the whole verse then, of course. Where did, his, where did his right to rule come from? God. It came from God. It came from God. It didn't mean he was this wonderful born-again Christian. That is, he wasn't. I'm just saying his right to rule was from the hand of God. Amen. Done. Things that are taking place, verse 21, B, The most high God rules the kingdom of mankind, sets over it whom he will. Verse 23b, the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not not honored. This is a statement of judgment, of course, but I love the description of God. Do you see this? God in whose hand is your breath. Isn't that amazing? Who gave you permission to get up this morning? It was good genes, right? I eat well. That's why I've... No, well, yes. I mean, good genes are great and eat your vegetables. I know. We'll talk about that in a minute. Exercise. Take care. But, but ultimately, who let you wake up? God. It was from the hand of God. However old you are, God, in whose, in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways. Isn't that amazing view of God? He holds your breath in his hand. And all it takes is for God to say, you're done. 
and you're done. So we live at his pleasure. Kingdoms rise and fall by his hand. So on our end, on our end, yes, we live as good citizens. More about that later. But at the same time, undergirding it all, we live with confidence and rest in our hearts because we know he is sovereign over all. He knows what he's doing. And if, if our breath is in his hand, it also means nothing and nobody can take that breath away apart from his word. It's confidence. It just oozes confidence. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, almost there, guys, for this section. It just, I just, uh, even at the point of pressing on it, I, I want to do it. I want you to hear that this is the point of the book. So chapter 6 then, verse 26 King Darius speaking here, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the the power of the lions. Amen. That's the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And then my, my, uh, I, I gave you chapter 7, 1 to 14. I, I didn't quite mean it that way. I was intending to spell it out a little more. I want you to notice just a couple things in chapter 7, and then we'll move on to the next part. Chapter 7, verse 9, this description of God. I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Isn't that a cool way of speaking of God? The Ancient of Days. That shows up in Daniel. I think, I think that phrase, the Ancient of Days, is only in the book of Daniel at least in the Old Testament, the ancient of days. Verse, verse 13, one of the key sections, where's Jesus in the book of Daniel? I think he's right here. You'll, you'll hear us preach this in a few weeks. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. Take it to the bank. God rules. And there is a day that his kingdom will come, his will will be done, and it will never be destroyed. So again, this, this just oozes confidence. It shouts at us about the power of God before whom we live and who holds our breath. Now, a couple of other things then. Look at verse 18. The saints of the Most High. I love that designation. Verse 26, this person of whom is being spoken, he shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Verse 27, these things are given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's a description of God, the Most High God. One of the books I have in my library on the book of Daniel, it's an older book by some standards, uh, Rennie Showers, um, is his name, uh, Israel, uh, Friends of Israel, right? The title, The Most High God. I love that. The book's pretty good too, but the title is great. Daniel, servant of the Most High God. Listen, listen we live in a day when God is minimized in, this, in the minds of people, sometimes in the pe- minds of the people of God. And God becomes a little puppet who we don't trust very much. God becomes a tool to accomplish our purposes. He becomes a tool to give us our best life as we esteem it. We we see God as a tool to to do things my way. And if he doesn't, I'm really mad at him. And someday I'll demand an answer because he didn't do things my way. We, we, We see God as very small. How dare we? 
The book of Daniel is a great corrective to, a, to, a, to an impotent God. So, so hear it well in these weeks ahead. Daniel, servant of the Most High God. Is God present in Babylon? We come back to chapter 1 then, all right? Doing great. We come back to Daniel 1, and I am going to read then verses 5 through 21, and we'll go there. We'll make one visit to Jeremiah 29 and be done for the morning. But Daniel 1, starting verse 5, picking up the, the, really the, the narrative, the story that plays out in this chapter then. The king then assigned to them, these, these youths that were taken captive, remember them? Uh, assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, of the wine that he drank, they were to be educated for three years. That's, of course, the school of Babylon, Babylon High School, Babylon College. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Jewish names, of the tribe of Judah, of course. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Now, you notice, this is part of the enculturation process. He's taking away their Jewish names, all of which speak of God. And he's given them Babylonian names, all of which give credit and honor to Babylonian gods. You see this? So when you read about Daniel later on as being called Belteshazzar, the name itself that he was given speaks about the greatness of Bel, a Babylonian god. So they switch names, take away God-honoring names, give them pagan names. That's what's going on. Daniel, then, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah said of the Lord is gracious, Shadrach. Mishael, Mishael, he called Meshach. So who was like the Lord? No, now we're going to give him a Babylonian name. Azariah, the Lord is my helper, he calls Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're familiar with those names, most of us, I think, the three boys in the fiery furnace. Daniel then resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? You would endanger my head with the king. He's not kidding here, by the way. Um, he's supposed to make these kids, these young guys, look good. And if he doesn't, he doesn't get, dis- he doesn't get demoted he doesn't get sent to the pasture. He, he doesn't get unemployment. No, they cut off his head or feed him to the lions. How would you like that if the boss doesn't, doesn't like you today? He doesn't just send you home. He doesn't just fire you. He feeds you to lions. Think of the motivation that is to show up on time for work. Well, it's significant. Daniel said to the steward, when the chief of the eunuchs had assigned, he had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, doesn't that sound like fun? Now, I realize that some of you think that's great because you really love your vegetables. Uh, there's discussion about all these things. The word probably is not just vegetables proper. It probably means things that, or would include things that grow from the ground. So maybe he got potatoes too. One can only hope. Well, Work with me on that. They didn't have cheese to put on all this stuff. All right, let your appearance then, let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he, that's the the eunuch, listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. That meant a good thing. It meant healthier, okay? Then all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink, gave them... 
uh, vegetables, things that grow from the ground. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, this big crowd, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were the valedictorians of the class. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Indeed, he was. Well, a whole number of things. Now, if you look at your sermon notes, a few comments. Most of the story tells itself, but I ask you to think with me for a moment about these four young guys. Again, they're four of a larger crowd, nobility, as we've mentioned, royal family. So they come from a place of privilege. What did they see? What did they see as they left home? They weren't just packed up and put in the little Volkswagen and sent off to college, you understand. The Babylonians had wiped out their city. They'd invaded their, the, Judah. What did they see? Where were their families? What, what, what had they watched? You see, they didn't just waltz in and say, hey, we're taking over the place you got voted out of office. They came in with their armies and burned things and killed a lot of people and atrocities took place. So what did these four young guys, among the others, what did they see as they left home? What was their last memory of their parents, other brothers and sisters, their last view of home? Let me just tell you, it's probably on fire and terrible things for them to have seen. Young guys, were their parents, had they prepared them for this? Did they say, son, listen, before long, you're heading off to Babylon and you know, stay, with, stay with God. You know, they had, there's no preparation for this. You ripped out of their homes, prepared or not, and God was with them. Parents, as they, if indeed their parents lived to see their sons dragged off, their parents saying, God, go with you, and they'll never see him again. You'll never get a letter. Off they go. Parents, if they were alive, who had to say, God, take my boys. I trust you completely. I'll never know. And indeed, God was present in Babylon. That's the point here. See? God knew. God knew. He went with them. Yes, it wasn't just an airplane ride. They had weeks uh, to travel and process. And you're going in, guys. You're going, you're going to go to a place where there's a different, different language, different customs, and you're never going home. The end. Here you will be and here you will die. Wow. God. God present in Babylon. I gave you a quote here from Neil Postman, famously having said, children are living the living messages we, meaning parents, we send to a time we will not see. I don't know if you ever think about that, moms and dads and grandparents. Children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. Indeed, I think about that kind of thing periodically. Daniel and his friends, immersed in Babylon, no, no hope, no hope. I, my answer key at the bottom is wrong. Uh, no hope, it should say, instead of no home. They had no hope of ever getting back home, and yet they did not lose their faith in the living God. Uh, if you look back at the text with me, I want you to notice verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Uh, God was judging Judah. Make no mistake about it. God did this. The rise and fall of kingdoms. God was doing this. So if you're back home in Judah and you're seeing your nation go down the, the, the tube, so to speak, well, you may or may not understand it at the moment. 
God was doing something, even as we wrung our hands back in Judah and said, oh no, there goes our country. Well, indeed, away went the country. Yes, God was doing something here and none could stay his hand. God was doing this. God was doing this. So, so don't miss that. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall at his command. So, so again, be at peace. Be at peace as you think about your own life. God was doing this. Verse 8, yes, Daniel resolved. That's part of the picture. Verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion. Whence cometh favor? Where does it come from? Where does favor come from with the higher-ups? Well, be nice and show up for work on time and don't be a jerk. Yes, this is true. Ultimately, God gives Daniel favor. God did this. God gave Daniel favor. That's pretty good. Uh, Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. How come they were that smart? It was from the hand of God. Do you have any ability or skill? You, anything? Anything you got going for you? (laughs) Hope so, something. Where'd you get that? You're so smart, right? I've worked really hard to be this nice, and this is the best I could get. Let me tell you about uh, this kind of stuff. No, God gave them that. God gave them that ability and skill. Good SAT scores? Whatever ability you got, mechanical ability, understand computers, teach well. I don't know what it is you do. Um, God gave them that ability. It was from the hand of God. God. God is present in Babylon. God is present in Babylon. Now, I mentioned I want to go back to Jeremiah, indeed, Uh, We'll go back to Jeremiah 29, and we'll close our time today here. Uh, This is just a really important text in in our study of Daniel, because it's happening at the same time. You know how they say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know what I mean by that? Or a movie, right? They cut to a different scene in another, you didn't know this. Well, indeed, that's taking place right here. So Daniel 1 is taking place, but at the same time, Jeremiah 29 is taking place. Because Jeremiah the prophet, older than Daniel... At the very same time, Daniel back, or Jeremiah back home is honoring God, speaking for God. And in Jeremiah 29, he writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon, which, by the way, Daniel reads. Did you know that? Daniel gets Jeremiah 29. It's a letter from, from the prophet Jeremiah, gets sent to Babylon. Daniel reads it. He keeps it the whole time. We know he's got it because in Daniel 9... He references in a prayer, I was reading the book of Jeremiah the other day, and I noticed that there's 70 years decreed. How did he know that? It's because he read Jeremiah 29. It's kind of fun. So this, this, is, this is the word of God from Jeremiah sent in a letter to Babylon. Daniel gets it. I think this is amazing. So I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14, and then just a couple of comments, and we'll bring our, our morning to a close. The word of the Lord, then, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile. I've sent. I've sent them. That's important. I sent them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here it is. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. That would be your grandkids. Uh, multiply there and do not decrease. In other words, you're going to be there a while. If you're going there now, guess what? You're going to be grandparents before you get out of there, if you ever do. 
You're going to be there a while. Seek the welfare or seek the good, depending on your translation. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And we know from other texts, some of those prophets, false prophets, were saying, don't worry, we're going to get out of here quickly. God's going to rescue us. He would never take us here to Babylon and leave us very long. Jeremiah is saying, you want to bet? It's going to be 70 years. So all those people who say they're speaking for God, Jeremiah points out, they're not. Just because somebody says they speak for God doesn't mean they do. It's been true for a long time. Verse 10, thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You heard me as I, as I read, uh, read a couple of very well-known verses among the most taken-out-of-context verses in the entire Bible, if I may say. Uh, that's a topic for another day. Uh, God tells them here, you're going to be there for 70 years, so pray for the city where you, where you are. Seek the good of the city. Uh, he doesn't say, try to turn Babylon into Jerusalem. Oh, please, I'm, I'm, I'm meaning a lot by what I'm saying here. You're not going to turn Babylon into Jerusalem. You hear this? It's not, it's not Jerusalem. You're not home. You don't run the place. So don't, don't wring your hands if you don't run the place. You're in Babylon. Seek the good of the city. Yes. Don't light it on fire. Be good citizens in Babylon, but, but, but seek the good of the city. In its welfare, you will find welfare. Live as exiles where you live. I've put you there. I know it's not home. I got it. I'm sending you to Babylon. God is present in Babylon. Live as good citizens there. In, their, in, in her welfare, you will find yours. There's a lot of words of wisdom here, a lot of extrapolation. This is not your true home. Um, I I say all of this uh, in inviting further thought, but not in the parking lot today. Um, (laughs) Tongue in cheek. Um, Because as I, as as these are times in election years and so on and turmoil in a country and so on, when we think a lot about, about America and where it is today, I don't like a lot of things about where it is today, but sometimes we want to go back to a time that didn't exist. And I'm just going to press on something and let you mull it over and, 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 and so on. Uh, disagree if you like. Uh, Dr. John Hanna, who is a distinguished professor of something-something at Dallas Seminary, um, a wonderful speaker and, and I think writer. I've heard him speak more than I've read anything he said. Um, but he, he talks about America's heritage as a Christian nation. And he differentiates something in a very helpful way that I think I agree with, I definitely do, and it would be wise to have us all think about it. He differentiates between America as a Christian nation, capital C or small c. And he says, in the minds of a lot of people, they look back and think America was at one time a capital C Christian nation. And it wasn't, he would argue. Small c, small c Christian, 
Judeo-Christian values. Now, I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I'm just saying let's be careful what we baptize. In other words, to go back, because there were some things about life back in the small C Christian days that weren't very good here in America. You might think about that. So to go back, which parts do you want to go back to? Well, there are parts I would take, and there are parts you would take, but not all of it. So these are things to mull over. So Babylon, um, we, we live in an increasingly pagan world. Do we press back? Yes, of course we press back. But at the same time, this world is not our home, and we know that we live in exile. We're in Babylon. God is present in Babylon. Make no mistake. So we live before him in Babylon in peace. What is our message to the world in Babylon? Guess what? Here's the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Be reconciled to God. That's the message. That's the main message that should flow from every Bible-preaching, gospel-loving church. That's the main message. The main message. We never, we never divert any, to anything else from that. It's, that is it. Be reconciled to God. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That message never changes. Be reconciled to God is our main message. And it's going to continue to be till Jesus comes. Okay? Lots to think about. Lots to think about. And we will together. So glad you're here. I'd love to pray for us. Would you stand with me as we draw our time to close? And then I'll say just a few words of announcement, and then we'll be done here today. Our Father, I thank you for the book of Daniel. It speaks to us very profoundly, not only about a time in the past that we have never seen, but it speaks to us about our own day and our immersion in this troubled culture and troubled time. Our Father, we are so pleased that we can hear the words of the living God, not just words of people. Oh, I know there are important things being said. I get it. I do. But so much noise, even crowding out the things that are important today. And I pray that you'd help us as the people of God to speak loudly and clearly on those things that are most important. Most of all, the words of the gospel to the nations. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. In him alone is your hope. So, Father, I pray your peace and your grace for each of these people. Point us to you and let our hearts find rest in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.